You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Hi, this is Andre Ebron, the founder and the host of The Drawing Board Podcast, the author of The Drawing Board, the book. And oh, I hope you are ready for it. June 22nd, this coming Saturday, The Drawing Board Experience and the crowd goes wild. Uh, tonight, uh, we have a very, very special guest, Mr. DeMarchio Williams. Welcome, my brother. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, man. I love what you're doing. Oh, man, listen, likewise, I appreciate you being here. Yeah. And, uh, man, the conversation that we have tonight, I think so many people can relate to. Mm. So how do we restore the past yeah. and build the future? I want them to just chew on that for a second. <laughs> yeah. How do we restore the past and build the future. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into that, I always got to give it up for my A1 since day one. Kate is in the house. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. And I always put a challenge out every single podcast that if you have an idea, if you have a thought, if you have some something you believe that will be valuable for the world to hear, I challenge you to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. You can you can contact Podcast Detroit. They have Detroit locations, Royal Oak locations, and they are Googleable. That's my word. <laughs> they are Googleable. Make sure you uh, Google them, and I'll tell you how I started. I sent a message through Facebook, told them the date that I wanted to start. They set it up. And I was able to begin. I do know on Saturdays, Kate, uh, they you people can come in and do like a test run, right? Um, it's not every Saturday. We actually do something where it's free podcasting day where okay. people who are interested in potentially starting their own podcast are welcome to come in. We'll sit you in the studio. We'll give you a rundown, maybe some little advice, and you get to just do a little dry test run and see if you like it. Okay, so free podcast day. Hey, you owe yourself the opportunity. So I challenge you to start a podcast. I'm going to give you two months to do it, and then I'm going to come back and see if you have done it. All right. <laughs> so, Brother DK, listen. Yes. So if I could read this bio, man, oh, wow. listen, when I read this, <laughs> I was impressed. I was like, oh, man, this guy has it going on. So DK Williams is a project manager at Bedrock Detroit, a full-service real estate firm specializing in acquiring, leasing, financing, developing, and managing commercial and residential space. William Lee, Williams leads a cross-functional, excuse me, Williams leads cross-functional projects in what some call the renaissance mm. of Detroit. Over the past decade, Williams' unwavering dedication to youth empowerment and community engagement has earned him the reputation as an advocate of positive change. From serving in his local school and church to an international platform, Williams has always sought to lead and give back to his community through progressive change. This inspiration has led Williams to the research and development phase of founding a nonprofit organization, Detroit Father. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Detroit Father, <laughs> if I could, just for a second. Uh, on his Instagram, follow at Detroit Father. A uh, lot of excellent things there uh, as it relates to building 
and supporting uh, those who have a hole in their heart the size of their father. Yeah. All right. For fatherless men in Detroit, his mission is simple. Build the future and restore the past. He holds active membership at Detroit FinTech Building Building Owners and Managers Association, Toastmasters International, DYP, Detroit Young <laughs> Professionals, DPN, Detroit Parent Network, and National Black MBA Association. My brother, where, where do you have time <laughs> for anything in your schedule, man? That's, yeah. that's a lot, but a lot of great things. Thank you. Furthermore, Williams received his bachelor's degree in business administration from Liberty University and currently enrolled in graduate school studying public administration. Williams currently resides on the east side <laughs> of Detroit, Michigan, with his lovely wife, Lenice, mm -hmm. and their beautiful daughter, Genesis. Mm -hmm. He has been fortunate to learn from ordinary leaders who paved the way and hopes to pay it forward. Yes. Mr. DeMarchio D.K. <laughs> Williams. Well, let's welcome you. him to the show. Go ahead. Let's get a couple bells on that. <laughs> All right. So, Brother D.K., Yes, sir. Building the future, yeah, and restoring the past, mm -hmm. like that is a loaded statement. Help yeah. me unpack that. What does that mean to you? Like, when did you get the thought about that? Mm -hmm. And like, what does that organically mean to you? Yeah, I think that's exactly where it starts with my personal journey, my personal story um, of not having a father, having that hole in my heart the size of my father. Um, growing up to a single young mother at 14, she had me. Um, and so looking at the past, I think life is just a big circle. Um, they say what goes around comes around. And so for sure. me, um, it was really, really important to, to not only build the future for my family, um, but to also be able to restore the past for my mother and my father, um, and, and even generations prior to that and, and figure out how this cyclical movement, um, this circle that represents life, how can I, I, you know, build this bridge going forward and also build a bridge for um, my family going backwards? So for me, it's all about um, creating experiences where I can engage my, my two-year-old daughter and have fun with her, raise her, um, create a foundation for her, but also to reach back and say, you know what, my dad wasn't in my life. How can I support him? How can I be there for him, um, for my siblings? How can I create this, this again, circle and experience um, where we all can move forward and, and, and live a life um, that, you know, we almost have to create um, this God-given life that we've been given. So that, that was for me where the idea started. And Detroit Father was just, again, this idea of how can we create this platform for young men of color in particular who don't have positive male role models in their lives? How can we get out there, create this platform to really change the narrative um, that the media is putting on us and, and, again, restore the past, the past hurts, the past pains, and also be able to build a, a positive and, and fruitful future? So that's where the idea really comes from. I think that's excellent. If I can just go back a little bit in what you were saying, um, what it what it said to me was that you were dedicated to healing the past, yeah. not by remaining there, yeah. but by moving forward mm -hmm. and using it as fuel. Yeah. So your forward movement and your action was able to bring healing yes. to your past. That's it. And if somebody in your family if they were able to see you make it, mm -hmm. that your success created opportunities for them to also yeah. heal. 
That's so true. And that's what it was. And that's why, again, for me, it's a big circle. Right. It's this, this continuation of, you know, each one helps one. We give back and we, we never reach this pinnacle of success. It's always how can I help the next person keep this circle going forward? Um, and again, the, the reality is that one in nine African-American men are not going to have a positive male role model in the home. I mean, that's just the reality in America. So, again, how can we be those men, close that gap and and really give back to that next generation? So, yeah, it's powerful. Absolutely. I think it's a uh, it is in some ways an audacious, Mm -hmm. in other ways, a daunting task uh, task, um, with the statistics saying that Mm -hmm. 85 percent of the homes across Metro Detroit. Yeah our fatherless homes Mm -hmm. and we've just celebrated father's day. And that means a lot. I saw a post that says, what do young men who don't have active fathers in their life, what do they do on father's day? Mm. And so like we, and sometimes, you know, we go from deficit models to other people on the other spectrum or the other polarity is then they go totally total asset framing Mm -hmm. when the reality is it's like an amalgamation of the two of them. Right. So there's a stark reality that 85 percent of the homes are fatherless at this point. Fifteen percent of the homes do have fathers in the home. Mm -hmm. Now, whether the example is healthy or not. We begin to examine that. But the reality is it is a meshing of the two. Definitely. And realizing here, here's what I and so I didn't post it because I thought I said this might because I don't have a chance to unpack it. Like okay. in a post. Right. Uh, I didn't want to put it out there. Uh, I, I was going to say to every single mother only because mm-hmm. my mother's proof positive of, of this. Yeah. And I've seen so many other successful single mothers. What they were more dedicated to doing. They were not trying to be mother and father. Mm. But what they were determined to do was build a community of strong men yes. around their son, even when his father made a choice or whatever it was to mm-hmm. not be involved in his life. So Definitely. sometimes we don't properly shoulder the burden wow. because we are trying to prove to others that we can do it. Watch yeah. this <laughs> by ourselves. Yeah. So, man, as we talk about and we talk about restoring the past mm-hmm. like what is it about the past that's beautiful that, that like needs to be restored in mm-hmm. your estimation yeah in my estimation is that we can't neglect the need for a father i think um for me faith drives me and so i, I have to give biblical reference but he, can we shout out to detroit <laughs> church one time yes shout out detroit church pastor sonny we yes. love y'all man <laughs> he was just here a couple of weeks he ago. was he was just here <laughs> So Pastor Sonny and, and, and the Smith family, we love y'all, man. Yeah, and he brought a really, really good message on Sunday when he was actually talking about this very thing in the scripture where it says, in Malachi, where he'll turn the father's hearts to the sons yeah. and the son's hearts back to the father. And I think for me, restoring the past is is still beautiful. The past is, is still valuable. Um, it, it's just all in the frame of how we look at it. Um, and so for me, I could complain. I could be upset with my father that he wasn't there. But then I oftentimes look at life and, and think, where would I be? How would life have been if he had have been there? If he had have been. You know, right. um, and again, in, in all the, the negativity that surrounded him with drugs, um, being in and out of prison, just that life and that example and role model that could have been afforded to me. Um, I think of being, you know, 
at a young age, one who loved going to church, loved being around uh, faith believers in the community, uh, people who, who had strong faith. And so I think about, again, how the past could have been. And so I don't neglect the past. I, I accept it and I appreciate it. But there's still an element of it that was broken. It was fragmented. And I figure out how can I restore part of that? And again, um, understanding my father, where he was in his life and how as a man, I can even reach over and put my hand across his shoulder and say, hey, I'm here for you. How can I support you? And that's just been my, my journey, you know, and I think that's what restoring the past looks like, not forgetting about it, not acting as if it doesn't exist, um, but but saying, you know what, that was real. That pain was real. Not having him um, really hurt at times, but um, even in those valleys, finding the mountains and being able to appreciate the past and, and again say, hey, I'm here if you need me. I think that's how we, we appreciate the past and really can use it to restore it. Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of wealth in mm-hmm. that pain. Yeah. If you take the time to do some self-examination and uh, it hurts to Mm -hmm. examine, it hurts to reflect. It it is one of those things where people will get busy enough Mm -hmm. to not reflect, not (laughs) self-examine. I want to say uh, that it was Aristotle Mm. or it might have been Plato that says the unexamined life Mm. is not worth living. Wow. Right. And so what you fail to to examine or to confront, it manifests itself in other ways. ways. And so. So now what we have is building the future. Yes. And what I this is just my belief and I feel free to to mm-hmm. to like jump in. Okay. So I believe that people have to be convinced that they're broken. Mm. Yeah. Like somebody has to tell you yeah. that you're broken. Wow. When they look at your circumstances or situation and th- although it might be painful, mm-hmm. it takes someone speaking to you yeah. and convincing you that your situation whether it was an absent father, whether it was an absent parent or mm-hmm. whatever has occurred in your life, they have to convince That's you wow. that you are broken. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this narrative that starts circling that says that if you don't have this, if you don't have this, if you don't have this, mm-hmm. these statistics says that you're broken. Yeah. And so if you convince somebody long enough that they're broken and I I hear my faith community chiming in right now. Yes, we God will use broken vessels mm-hmm. and all those things. What I'm talking about is a mindset that frames that says that because something didn't happen, mm-hmm. it starts to put you in a disparaging view of yes. yourself. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Relax, calm down, <laughs> put your church fan down, it's right, okay. Right. Breathe easy, right? <laughs> Yes, because we all must come to him broken. He's nigh unto them a broken heart and contrite spirit. Mm-hmm. Got it, right? Yes. So here's what I'm saying, though, is that uh, I think that somebody, like when you come into this world, like you come in innocent, mm. right? And somebody has to convince you that, A, you're not great. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to convince you that, uh, you know, all of these different things. But then on the flip side, that opportunity exists yeah. and it's total like innocence is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, naivety sometimes is beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yeah. However, here's the <laughs> thing, though, is that from that point, there's nothing like hindering your view of what the future could be. Mm. So talk to me about that vision yeah. cast for me just for a second. Yeah. So if I tell you 85% of the homes currently have no fathers, Detroit mm-hmm. Fathers is coming to bring healing mm-hmm. to, you know, those who had fatherless homes. Yeah. Uh, like just, just share with me, man, what do you see in healing our communities? Yeah, for me, the biggest thing is meeting people where they are. Um, I think one of the, the things that I learned 
um, in church, which was not the best, is that we waited for people to come to us for the healing. We right. wait for people, you know, we open the doors of the church and we say, come on in, you know, we've got a message of hope, we've got this for you. Um, but when we look at biblical, it was almost the exact opposite where he went out. Um, and so this model of uh, even at Detroit Church, we have up in and out. Um, how do we go up vertically with God? How do we go out into the community and then go into deeper relationship with people? And I think that's the biggest thing for me is just building relationships with people right where they are and then finding those commonalities. I think we'll find that we have a lot more in common with each other than that is different. Um, so for me, it's it's not looking at my status as a, a project manager or a father, as a husband. It's just looking at it as a human um, and, and the hurt that I've experienced and that the pain that I know is real and, and being able to have a conversation about that, being real and open about it um, and just meeting people where they are. And so with Detroit Father, we don't have a physical location. It, it's all a, a more so for me, a movement. Okay. Um, and, and it's, again, meeting people where they are, whether it's going into schools, whether it's um, partnering with other corporations that are already doing this work or, or nonprofits that are in this space. Um, it's really figuring out how can we um, again, meet people where they are. Don't reinvent the wheel. If there there's community partners that have a strong base and they're working with people where they are, let's partner with them. Let's figure out ways we can really just draw upon each other's strengths. And it's uh, it's all about telling the story. Where can we share our narrative? Um, and that's that's how we build the future. I think it's together. We we've got to do it through unity. Um, and I think what you see a lot of in the city is a lot of different stakeholders coming together, and that's beautiful. It's um, awesome. You see a lot of corporations saying, hey, what can we do to help the education system? What can we do to help boost the economy? And when we start doing that and we be intentional about it, not looking at it from what can I gain, but what can I give? I think that's where the conversation shifts. And so that's that's how we build the future together and in community. Right. So one of the things that I have been just my personal view, mm -hmm. uh, when people tell me that they are committed to community work, yeah. I have been challenging them with this one question. Mm -hmm. So what local school have you been investing time mm -hmm. in time and or resources only because of this? When you talk about what the future looks like, uh, it looks like our youth, yep. uh, their current condition. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a tri-county tour from Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb. We okay. were talking about education. Uh, Wayne County came with a very emotive response. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, our babies are growing up and they're, you know, walking to schools and unsafe conditions mm -hmm. and, and all of these things. And this is a reality, yeah, right? Definitely. But when you're sitting with decision makers, like that emotive response does not produce results, no. right? And so then we went out to Macomb County, mm -hmm. and Macomb County was more interested in systemic change. Wow. What can we do to build systems so that we can ensure their sustainability and mm -hmm. longevity as it relates to allocating resources, yes. right? When I went to Oakland County, they were talking about the development of human capital mm. to fill the positions for the companies that they would build in the future. Yes. Totally different. Totally different, <laughs> right? So when you're talking about three counties— mm -hmm. Uh, all rearing children mm -hmm. with three different frames of mind and how they would exercise their future. Mm -hmm. So I always, whether you are a civic leader, community leader, yeah. no matter where you are or a professional in your, in your own right, mm -hmm. like you have to look at like consumer specs, right? Yeah. So where are children investing most of their time? Mm. And they are investing most of their time at school. Yeah. 
So if any environment should be conducive for doing one of those three things, making sure the social and emotional development is on point, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that there is a systemic uh, system that would allow for longevity yeah. and sustainability or developing human capital to fill those positions, those resources should be allocated directly mm-hmm. to the schools. That was just I my agree. little soapbox. Okay, no, I that's stood on good. <laughs> that's yeah. good. I mean, and that's, and you see that in the three different counties. You see the difference that having just that frame of mindset, the difference it can make. Yeah. Yes, sir. So talk to me about being a husband and yeah. a father. <laughs> like breaking, you just celebrated your fifth year, right? Yes. Definitely. Five years in the game. Welcome, yeah. sir. I'll Thank tell, you. You, tell you like my, my uh, mentor said. Oh, you you just going to breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> just getting started, <laughs> yeah, right? Just going oh, to man. Breakfast. No, but congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, black love is beautiful. Yes, it All is. All love is beautiful. Yes. And uh, I'm just excited to see uh, the restoration mm-hmm. uh, and you being part of that change or an advocate for positive change uh, with leading your family the Definitely. way you do. So talk to me about it, man. What is it like being a husband? Yeah, man, it is the most awesome responsibility in the world, right. I would say, um, from time from the time I grew up, again, not really having um, male role models who were fathers, who were husbands, and seeing that in action, um, it it is awesome. I, I'm like, it's the greatest responsibility that I've ever been given. Um, but we know, with you know, great. Awesome titles comes great responsibility and, and accountability. Yes, sir. Um, and so the way that I lead my family, I know that ultimately um, my father in heaven is holding me accountable for that. And other men around me are holding me accountable to the way I lead my wife. And so it it is definitely the greatest responsibility. I mean, my wife um, being able to even restore parts of her past and walk alongside her in some some healing that she has to go through. And, and then being able to create a foundation for our daughter together, um, knowing that we are two broken humans coming together, you know, uh, for forever, for eternity, you know, you know, and, and that. That we're building this future for our daughter and what that looks like. And um, it, it's just, it's awesome, man. There's really no words to describe it. Uh, you mentioned Father's Day. It was a beautiful day. Um, you know, again, not having my father, that was, it was a mixed, mixed motion day. You know, I had some, some ups, some downs, but overall it was a beautiful day. Got to spend it with them. Um, and, and that's always what I'm, I'm looking forward to, spending time with them. And, and just again, Creating that model, I think the biggest thing of uh, building the, you know, the future is having a model, having a framework for what that looks like. I believe that we can't be what we don't see. Okay. Um, and and we can ultimately do it, but it's going to be a lot harder. The journey, you need to surround yourself by models. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing. I can't go out saying, let's build the future and I'm not modeling what the future should look like or what we want to frame the future to look like. So for me, it's always in that context. How am I leading my wife? How am I building this future for my daughter and doing it um, well, you know, and then modeling that for the world. So I'm always trying to post pictures if I'm using, you know, social media or I'm telling that story. I'm always trying to figure out how to craft that narrative in the way that we're not going to see on the news or we're not going to see in media. And so again, modeling what we, what we want the future to look like is very important. So it's awesome, man. Man, listen, I'd like to say the most humbling experience that any man can have (laughs) is becoming a father Mm -hmm. to a daughter. Yes. Daughters can tell you what to do. (laughs) They run the show. I mean, it is a very true fact. If nobody else 
can get you to move. Mm-hmm. Your daughter oh, yeah. can get you to move. Yeah. I mean, my daughter's 13. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, I, I know about it. <laughs> I, and, and sitting here conversing with me, with you, it is, uh, I see such a stark parallel mm-hmm. between what you do professionally mm-hmm. and then what your heart's desire is to do. Yes. So when you talk about, like, managing commercial and residential spaces, right? Yeah. This is where transactions happen. This is where uh, business occurs. This is mm-hmm. where people live and dwell. Yeah. This is, for me, the one word that popped, like I just saw it, like, you know, mm. uh, was the word conversation. Yeah. And so biblically, the word conversation is translated what? Lifestyle. Mm. And yeah. so when I look at you being able to acquire, to lease, to finance, to develop, essentially that word develop, mm-hmm. uh, places where these conversations or these lifestyles begin to intersect. Yes. Like that for me is the essence of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I love to do, and uh, I encourage somebody, I encourage other people because you're already doing it, mm-hmm. but just slow down for a second. Yeah. But when you walk the downtown streets, mm-hmm. um, from the wealthiest person to uh, the vagrant, mm-hmm. like they've walked those same streets. Same streets. Uh, from the person who has, you know, assets galore mm-hmm. to the person who has nothing but liabilities wow. and debts. Like they, they walk those yeah. same streets. That's real. And you walk past them every day. And what's funny is the person who may be dressed to the nine mm-hmm. may have a lot more liabilities than the man <laughs> who's not dressed well at all. Mm-hmm. And so in the pursuit of happiness or what we deem to be success, mm-hmm. like what I love in, in watching you, what needs to happen for me when I talk about transforming homes or community mm-hmm. is increasing that level of engagement. Yes. Uh, when I watch people walk right past each other, because of, and I'm guilty, so mm-hmm. I'm not saying just you. Mm-hmm. I walk right past somebody yeah. because of where they have to go and refuse to engage in the person who's standing right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Like acknowledging your humanity yes. makes me a better human. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we weren't ascribing to some high, some fictitious standard, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. As it relates to what a father should be. Mm-hmm. And telling men that who you currently are is a great starting point and enough to build a relationship yeah. with your child. Yeah. What do you think about that? Man, I agree. And I think the the stark reality hits me every day when I leave downtown Detroit um, from my office and go home to the east side of Detroit. Yes, sir. Um, every day I'm doing that commute and I'm seeing the stark difference between what's happening downtown and what could happen, what could be on the east side. So when you see that every day, you're compa- you you have to be compelled to do something. And so for me, um, it's, again, building that human capital of just meeting people where they are, getting out on the east side, going to different neighborhood events and community events and figuring out ways that we can engage those people right where they are. Um, and that's a big conversation that I know I have started to have with different individuals within our organization. How can we do this and do it in an effective way? Because the reality is a lot of people that work at a lot of our organizations downtown, they work, they eat, they shop, 
and then they go home. They go home. They go out to the suburbs. And so we cannot um, really be intentional and create intentional engagement if we don't really understand and see where people are and meet them where they are. Um, and it, for example, we did a, a volunteer event on Seven Mile, and it was interesting. A couple of weeks ago, we're out on Seven Mile and we're cleaning up. Beautiful event. Um, but as people, as the businesses started open, because we were out there early, like 8 a.m., but as the businesses started to open and people started to come down the street, um, you could feel this tension that they almost are, are wondering, what are you doing here? Um, and the reality was we were there doing a community cleanup. We wanted to do some really nice things to, to beautify the, the community uh, for some upcoming events that are coming. Um, but we really wanted to clean up the city, but we had not met the community, in my opinion, I hadn't. I'll take take it personally. I hadn't met um, some of these community stakeholders and people in the community where they were before this cleanup. And so a good deed really went, um, in, in some frame of references, went unnoticed and it was really unwanted because we hadn't met people where they are and gotten to know the community that we were trying to help. And I think that that's the reality that we do a lot of good things and the intention can be right. The motive, all of that could be good. But if we don't take time to really meet people where they are um, and, and just get to know them and say, hey, how can I partner? How can I walk alongside you? What do you need? Asking those questions versus assuming what they need. I think that's where you really see that stark difference between what we have going on now and what we could have happen here in the city. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, and trust me, a lot of organizations uh, do that exact mm -hmm. thing. And the intent and the motive is great. Yeah. Uh, we, we did this thing and it, it came from, I was running a restorative circle okay. uh, between two adults within uh, one an organization I used to work for. <clears throat> and the young lady said to the other uh, employee, she says, I start off with the greatest intent. Mm. But what I've realized is that if you end up hurt in the process, then my intent, my intent becomes less important wow. than my impact. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to gauge intent and impact, mm -hmm. right? And having that honest conversation like, yes, I started off with a really great intent. Yes. But then when I measured the impact, I must do so not just from my lens, but mm -hmm. from all stakeholders. Yes. So um, that organization, what we started doing, mm -hmm. um, or what they what they had set up is, we were a school. Okay. And if you're going to work at this school mm -hmm. inside of this community, we did a community walk. Mm. And so we had watch this, and it was led by one of the major stakeholders who had a lot of respect in the in the hood. Mm -hmm. He led the walk. There you have it. And so we walked and we shopped at the stores, mm -hmm. that, that gas station or uh, the liquor store yeah. <laughs> where that kid goes in in the morning mm -hmm. and gets the hot Cheetos or the Mystic or whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know. Yeah. And if you aren't comfortable enough to take that walk, mm -hmm. maybe you need to reconsider yes. Because there's going to be some implicit bias yes. in the way you interact <laughs> with the people who come from that community That's true. if you are afraid to walk the same mm -hmm. streets that they have to walk to get to yes. school, right? So uh, to all of the educators, the professionals, and I speak from a school standpoint, mm -hmm. if your school is in that neighborhood mm -hmm. and you haven't went across the street and knocked on the door of the person across the street mm – -hmm then you're not engaged in the community. Wow. And that's the difference between 
a school being in the community mm-hmm. and you being a community school. Yes. Right. Wow. So that's that. And so me, like that. you know, and I know, listen, don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared. Be wise. Right. Yeah. Now use wisdom. <laughs> don't be, listen, when, when the dusk begins to settle, mm-hmm. Or if the sun has not come up yet, that is not the time you go knocking on somebody's door. Right. I'll give you a safe time. Mm-hmm. Mm, around 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Between between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., those are your those are your ideal times. Yeah. Any time after that, all right, <laughs> don't, don't, do, don't it. do it. Don't do it. So uh, that's real, man. When you when you're talking about uh like bedrock mm-hmm. and the work that they're doing yeah. and uh you know bedrock and QL and the way that uh I kind of see you as a bridge mm-hmm. uh one of the reasons I brought up engagement is because we met at um prayer and conversation yeah. right prayer and conversation yeah. shout out to Dave and enjoy <laughs> Detroit yes. all right and I know that Dave was instrumental in helping you get uh, the Detroit Father brand, yes. you know, out there. So mm-hmm. if I want some Detroit Father gear, where do I go? <laughs> Tell me where I need to go. We got to get some more, actually. So, Dave, I'm going to be reaching out to him to get some more gear. We actually uh, sold out of all of it that we had. We did a test run uh, just to figure out what we wanted to do. To do. And, yeah, enjoy Detroit. Shout out to them. And they're doing some incredible work. And Dave is, is very instrumental in the community. And what I love about him is funny because we were living at that time downtown Detroit. Okay. And uh, we live one block Literally, the new development there, uh, Orleans Landing, we were living there, which is right next to Dave's shop. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got connected. And he was doing a black market event. And I went over and he had a, um, all of these black entrepreneurs selling their products and services. And so just shout out to him for the work that he's doing, even in the community. And it's people like Dave that, you know, again, I, I really try to gravitate towards and really figure out these are stakeholders, people who are from Detroit. Disclaimer, I am not from Detroit. That's OK. Um, Let them know where you're from. <laughs> So I'm from a little town called Ypsilanti, so it's right outside of Ann Arbor. So uh, I often tell people, hey, I'm just like Ann Arbor Ipsy, baby, born and raised. But, you know, I I would say I was called to the city. And my wife, for me, why the schools are so important, she was working uh, doing city year. On the east side of Detroit. So she had um, gotten a first-hand view on the east side of Detroit right off of Chalmers. I can't think of the school's name right off the top of my head, but she had been working in the school and saw firsthand just the disparity of being in that school, the the lack of resources. Um, And she was working, I think, some days 10 hours. Um, trying to really be there to guide the the students along and be a mentor and and just be there with them and she she had a heart for it and she said i've got to do more i've got to do something and so she's like i, I want to go to school become a social worker and at that time i had already been working at ql but we were commuting so we both are commuting and we're like you know we love detroit we went to visit detroit church shout out to them again they were right. in durfee at that time um and and we went a couple of sundays and we're like you know this just feels like the right place to be to grow um, with the family and really we want to move to the city and so we we made it happen and so 
it's been an interesting journey even coming to the city. How we got here was definitely, I, I would say, ordained outside of our control because we had had our stuff packed, ready to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and, you know, I already had a job with QL lined up down there. We were looking for apartments. Um, and, yeah, we, we had everything set up, and maybe a month before we were, we were about to go, something happened, and we were like, no, Detroit is where we need to be. Um, so we ended up here, and, you know, it's been, again, all intentional and all on purpose on how can we um, together, even as a family, create impact in our neighborhood, you know, with our neighbors and just be intentional. And I think that that makes a difference, you know, and it, it starts for me. Charity starts at home. It all starts at home. How I built my family. I can't be a father to to the hood and in the hood without being a father at home. So it, it, it all absolutely. starts at home for me. And so it's been a, a great journey. And I, and I think, you know, we've got a long road ahead um, but but I'm willing to to again be that champion for how can we impact change together do it collaborative um, because no one person is going to be able to do it no one um, entity no one organization or anything it's going to take all of us coming together and really creating change in this city so before we came on air there was a question that I asked mm-hmm. uh, well, there were two questions that I asked, but I'll, I'll loft, excuse me, I'll loft um, question number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, question one was, uh, how do we or where does uh, the person that's bringing this major systemic change to our mm-hmm. communities and the person that's doing the grass uh, roots work mm-hmm. in the community, uh, where do they intersect? Mm-hmm. And how do we, because the grassroots guys, look, they look at the systemic guy that's mm-hmm. up there. Uh, building systems or changing systems as if they have no real direct frame of reference Mm -hmm. for the change that they're making. I know you've heard it before. Oh, they're up there making changes. Mm -hmm. They have no idea. They're not in the community. They don't know what's happening. (laughs) And then on the flip side, Mm -hmm. the grassroots guy may not have the language, Mm -hmm. the wherewithal, the know-how to know how systems work and change. And we talked about how, um, you know, Changing systems a lot of times is like turning a cruise mm-hmm. ship, right? Big cruise and so ship. a big cruise <laughs> ship, right? So it is progressive. Yes. And the person who's at the top gets a lot of flack because the change is not happening fast enough, mm-hmm. right? And then the person at the bottom catches the flack generally because um, they represent a community and they feel like they have to be the voice, yeah. right? And so I've seen so many people. I was in a meeting downtown. Mm -hmm. This young lady, everybody was representing their program. Mm -hmm. And then I'll outdate myself. This is probably about mm, six, seven years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And all of the decision makers to make her program go were in the building. Mm -hmm. At the tape. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, she wanted some computers for her nonprofit, mm-hmm. and they told her that's possible, but this is what you're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. She got more impassioned about her saying the kids had this immense need for computers, mm-hmm. which was a fact. Yes, but she was not receptive enough to hear. That they weren't saying that it wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. but they were telling her, this is how you must structure it in order for us to be able to assist. Mm-hmm. 
And she got flat out belligerent wow. to the point where they ended their conversation with her because she felt like the more passionate she got mm-hmm. in her expression, the more persuasive she was being. Wow. When really what it was looking like, the more passionate and loud mm-hmm. she got with her conversation, the more unprepared to be at that table yeah. she was willing to be. Wow. Yeah. So back to the question. Mm-hmm. Where does the systemic guy mm-hmm. or lady mm-hmm. and the grassroots person, let me, the systemic person mm-hmm. and the grassroots person, where do they intersect? Mm-hmm. For me, it's in community. So one of the greatest blessings, I would say, coming to Detroit and being a part of um, a church plant such as Detroit Church was we got to go into what we call life groups. And so they're small life groups um, with maybe 10 to 20 individuals or families, because sometimes you have families represented. And uh, we would gather in a home once a week. We would have a meal. Um, And then after that, we would go into maybe a study or have a deep conversation about a topic or um, we would just chill out, you know, just play, maybe play some games or watch, watch some TV. But we grew in community. And for my wife and I, that was really big when we first came here because we didn't have um, any direct family that we were moving into the neighborhood with that we could go have these type of conversations and meals with unless we were going back to Epsi or Ann Arbor. So that for me, building intentional community in my life group alone, we had CEOs of large organizations. I mean, Fords and GMs. And then you had your grassroots, you have people that were in the community just going to play basketball with their next door neighbor, being intentional about how they build relationships with their block clubs and people in their hood. And so having those kind of groups and being intentional about growing and walking with each other, um, raising your families together, I think that's where we can really create change. It's not going to, even though we can impact the system, that systems person can go to the corporation, have the funds, have the wherewithal, the connections to drive systematic change until you get to that grassroots level and, and understand the root of the problem and, and really be in the community, be, um, if you will, engaged in it and, and reverend like that young man or the gentleman that walk with you all that that is respected in the community until you have that buy-in from the community you're not going to move real far you can throw all the money you want and we've seen that with organizations where they brought these companies in they've they've created all these jobs but you still don't see the community move forward in the way that they the system wants it to move mm-hmm. but you look at a lot of these communities in Detroit and figure how did these communities last through the the riots of 67 and all of these other issues that happened in the city? How did certain block clubs survive all of this? And it had to be through the community, being intentional, being where the people are. And I think for me, that's been the way that I go about trying to create systematic changes, being at the grassroots level, meeting people where they are, and then creating partnerships, finding where the funds are, finding how we can get these resources to the people that need them most. But the guy that just wants to change the system, you won't go very far if you don't intersect and be intentional in community with the person at the grassroots. Yeah, one yeah. word you continuously are using mm-hmm. is that word intentional, yeah. intentionality, mm-hmm. uh, building intentional partnerships, yeah. building intentional relationships, being mm-hmm. intentional in the way that you engage. Yes. So I was just listening to uh, Robert Smith, mm-hmm. and he was talking about uh, – 
taking some time to be thoughtful yeah. about what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe there are three types of people in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the extremely competent. <clears throat> the extremely passionate. Mm. But when you get that perfect blend of mm-hmm. competency and 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 passionate or advocacy, mm-hmm. I think we get a DK, right? Mm. Uh, I think we get someone who can negotiate in these rooms Mm -hmm. and not lose the authenticity of what's needed at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being able to go to the grassroots level and bringing some awareness to how system work. Exactly. And I and I and I believe that uh, you are the amalgamation of those two strengths of competency and passion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've I've got a chance to observe you at different times. We were just at a. Another uh, men's forum, yeah, right? Yeah. And I got a chance to watch how you engaged and, you know, how you were very intentional, uh, even in approaching uh, the keynote speaker, mm-hmm. uh, that you had a frame for which you wanted to engage. Yes. And you understood that he had a certain strength of whatever he was bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. You acknowledged it. I, I watched all this unpack. Mm-hmm. You acknowledged the value of what he was bringing. You lofted an opportunity. And then you engaged as it relates to, like, where could this potentially go? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think that because you have that skill of networking, mm-hmm. you know how uh, I was listening to a TED talk and it was talking about how all of the skills they say, mm-hmm. you know, interpersonal <laughs> skills and all of these things, uh, you have to, you know, look into their eyes mm-hmm. like you're really listening. <laughs> and she was saying, well, how about actually really listening? Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, yes, the strong handshake, the mm-hmm. eye contact, all of those things. But matter. what I loved about it is. Uh, the hood would say it this way, real, recognize real, mm-hmm. you know, and I have found that in those rooms that we maybe are able to enter into, mm-hmm. what they're looking for is authenticity. Yes. And um, I just want to say, man, you're doing great work. Oh, thank I you. just want to encourage that work. Uh, I do want to share this, man. I always challenge my guests. Mm-hmm. I always do. And it's generally around some body of work, written work, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a book or an article. I would love to hear you talk about, and I haven't fully, it hasn't fully come to me as it relates to, I'm I'm going back and forth toggling two subjects. Okay. So it's either life beyond the data, Mm. uh, the Detroit Renaissance. Okay. uh, That's one, right? Or uh, fatherhood beyond the data. Mm. And so... Uh, when you look at the data, like mm-hmm. that's huge, right? Yeah. And people are building entire programs around that data mm-hmm. and they are shooting a miss, right? <laughs> yes. Because there's so much uh, anecdotal data mm-hmm. that, or it's still data, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's more uh, to it. It's more to yeah. it. And so how do we speak to those things? Mm-hmm. How do we, how, how are we able to talk about what's happening there? Like Chris Emden out of New York, he says that there are, that rainbows do go over the projects, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, asset framing would be me and all those different things Mm -hmm. and what DYP is doing. Yeah. Like, how do we now begin to go beyond like this monolithic view Mm -hmm. of just building strong black communities? Mm -hmm. But how are we able at a younger age to incorporate like real diversity mm-hmm. because the to be effective or to be a game changer mm-hmm. or to be a global citizen like how do we bring that wherewithal mm-hmm. to our children at an early yeah. age so they're not just being and growing up to be strong black women or strong right. black men 
but they are actually global citizens mm-hmm. that can speak the language that's going to really move the world. Yeah. For me, again, I mean, I know this has all been about Detroit Church and when we came to Detroit, but it's about being in that intentional community. I mean, when you look at intentional communities, and I, I really would challenge people to really look more into these because they're, they're not new. These intentional communities and homes and centers are around the world. They do this. But we have exposed our daughter to so many different cultures. I mean, when you look at Detroit, you, you think, you know, that it's, again, it is 84% or so African American, but there are other percentages, you know, and it's like, where can we tap into these other cultural experiences? And even for our children, being able to expose them to that in our life group, it was predominantly actually Caucasian. Um, but again, her growing up and seeing other other, you know, races and other people that don't look like her, but can still find human, you know, elements that she's just like me, dad, you know, and being able to expose them to that. I don't think it makes us less than. And I think sometimes that's our frame of of mind that we, we have to submit or we have to give up our identity for these other diverse things to happen within our lives. And I don't, I don't think that that is true. Um, and for me, again, being able to sit at a table where I am sometimes the only black person in the room um, it, it's still how can I gain this one thing from this other person hear their perspective see where they're coming from because at the end of the day we all um, have different lives that we live but I think we all have value and we bring something to the table and, and I'm always interested in hearing that and I, so I teach my daughter that same thing you know that you have to be willing to listen um, don't be so quick to just judge um, and think because this person is one way that you automatically can assume what you know what their life has been like so i think that's what we got to do we do have to keep it diverse um and it's easier said than done definitely but for me again the biggest thing is always trying to find those cultural outlets to expose my daughter and even my wife you know to other cultures because the reality is we we didn't get that in school my wife and i even talk about it we didn't see you know places where we could go into the home of, a, you know, of a white person and they invite us in and we have dinner. We raise our kids together. We, we go to the baseball game together. We do all these things together. And it, it is just taking us to another level in deeper relationship and community to see that they, you know, there are people out there that really want to create impact in the community and we can do it together. Together. Yeah. Uh, so just to recap for the listeners, uh, we talk about intentionality, mm-hmm. intentional communities. Yes. Uh, and there's a risk in that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to abandon what you, uh, this false notion of what it is that you believe or even yes. some past experiences. Mm-hmm. You literally have to restore the past yes. <laughs> in order to build, build the, the future. future. Mm-hmm. And I guess you would have to ask, uh, or you have to ask yourself is like, what are you more committed to? Mm. Are you committed to, uh, the pain mm-hmm. of the past or are you more committed to the potential of your future? Mm-hmm. I need to write that's that real. down somewhere. Right? Yeah, right. No, no, and that's real. That's yeah. the reality. Like, you know, we would have deep conversations, even racial conversations as issues would arise. Um, you know, you see something on the media and we would talk about it. I think sometimes we don't even talk about some of this stuff and we, we wonder why. Well, they just did that to do it. And it's like, well, no, let's have real serious dialogue about it. Let's right. address it. Let's not ignore the elephant in the room. And I think we don't talk about it enough. You know, even within the black community, we could talk about mental health. We don't talk about it enough. Taraji P. Henson just made a good point about it not being in schools. So I think it's so many different things within the African-American experience um, where we just don't talk about it. But it's there. And it's and it's like 
present and we need to be aware that no that exists that that true um you know notion of i don't want to go into this person's home because who knows what they're going to do you know it's like that's real let's talk about it let's address it and let me tell you some of the life group sessions got hot you yeah, know absolutely. but it got real you know <laughs> right. and it helped us to grow we acknowledged that pain you know my wife again she was fearful she was actually went to an all white high school and was called out of her name was you know i mean racially was just abused at this high school so she was very vulnerable going into this and it was like whoa where where you take me but she trusted me enough as her husband you won't put me in an environment where I'm, I'm unshielded where I'm you know going to yeah. be you know hurt or damaged so again I think it's just all being intentional and, and saying hey we got to talk about some real stuff and, and then when you do that the healing that can come out of that man like it's powerful yeah, yeah. I was a part of a conversation at my university my first year so it was 2000 when I came on campus mm-hmm. And there was almost a all out like race uh, war, you know. Yeah. And, you know, just transparently, I was down for the cause Mm -hmm. only because it was 25 and we made up like the African-American population for the city. Wow. And I said, no, we're not going to do this. Uh, Instead, we're going to have a forum. Mm -hmm. Now, in you expressing yourself, you must be respectful of all people. Yes. Now, we're not going to have any. You know, mm-hmm. but what came of that man was so powerful. Yeah. Uh, the conversation where some people showed up on campus was like, I had never seen a black person. Wow. Like in person. That's real. And then on the flip side, uh, some of the brothers were saying, well, I had never gone to school, mm-hmm. you know, with a white person. Mm-hmm. And then we started out with positive intent. Right. Mm-hmm. So assuming the best. Yes. And then being able to have that uncomfortable conversation mm-hmm. because it confronts yeah. like what you're holding dear exactly. to, right? <laughs> it's like, give, give me the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like both hands on the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to call a jump ball? Right. Or are we going to tug the war? <laughs> you know, like what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And so when you have somebody there can, that can help to moderate and that jump ball is called, yeah. it engages the neutral party. Mm-hmm. So both parties have the opportunity to say, you know what? This time I'll let you have that, right? Yeah. And then the next possession, no, 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 mm-hmm. that belongs to me, right? right? Yeah. And what I love, what I love about those conversations, because they're generally like segmented, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but a lot of people want to heal their whole history, mm-hmm. their entire history in that one conversation, right. and you can't do it, right? <laughs> and so that's what happens. It's like yeah. I'm going to heal my entire self and everything mm-hmm. about me in this one conversation. And if you don't hear what I have to say right now, then that doesn't say watch this, it doesn't say that I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. It just says you're yeah. not listening, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's real, man. And I, I'm not laughing because it, I'm not making fun of anyone, yeah. but like I think we all in some way. And I'm overgeneralizing, but I think in some way we all have like had that notion mm-hmm. where when you finally get a chance in a healthy way to air out mm-hmm. what has been hurting you, yeah. it's like you want to let that faucet continue to run. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody says, hey, listen, we need to dial that back. Yeah. Then, like, no, you've been holding that right. pain for you're, so you're long. You're suppressing right? me. You're trying to suppress yeah, me you're now. To, you're trying to shut me down. No, I won't be quiet. So, right. And, and I think that... uh like when we can just uh, embrace our humanity mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and realize that 
uh, no socioeconomic level. Like pain mm-hmm. is an equal opportunity. It's an equal opportunist. <laughs> um, when it comes to parenting issues, mm-hmm. that's an equal opportunist. Yes, sir. While there is, you know, uh, a glaring difference mm-hmm. among communities, uh, presence doesn't always mean that um, a better outcome. Mm. Wow, that's real. Yeah. And so like, we have to open that up. Mm-hmm. And I guess the only reason I can speak to this, and you you may challenge me, feel free, comment, let's dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. this is how we grow. Uh, I was a social worker for a host of years. Mm. Uh, in the work I do in community, I I see all of this. Yeah. So I've, we've been able to coach kids through college who now have families of their own, and mm. they're doing great. And I've also visited kids who were in schools and end up going to jail. Wow. One doesn't have more potential than the other. Mm. It boils down to were they able to restore their past mm-hmm. in order to build their future. Yes, sir. That's it. So, man, listen. Saturday, I know you're going to be oh, there. Yes, sir. Right? Saturday <laughs> wait. at the drawing board experience. Yes, sir. And the drawing board experience is a powerful thought-provoking conference that challenges us to do what we were talking about, Mm -hmm. to examine our lives and to reimagine the possibilities. I'll ask the question, has life robbed you of the ability to imagine yourself beyond the pain that's trying to hold you captive? Mm -hmm. Has your success, watch this, because it's not always pain. (laughs) Has your success robbed you of your ability to imagine yourself beyond your current Opportunity. Yes. Because sometimes because success can hold you yeah. captive. That person is working 80, 90 hour weeks mm-hmm. and you feel like you just are in captivity and you can't break free. Yeah. Like, has it robbed you of your imagination? Mm. The conference will be a safe place yeah. for you to take some time to examine your life. Mm. And to reimagine the possibilities. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait. I'm gonna be there. I got my ticket. Oh, it's I'm going ready. down in a major way. <laughs> Listen, on Eventbrite. You can get your ticket today, uh, and I'll put it out there for those of who, you who are watching right now. If you drop your youth organization in the comments, I'll contact you directly, and I'm willing to sponsor some tickets for your organization. Wow. But, hey, that means you would have had to been watching the podcast. Yeah. All right? <laughs> so, DK, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about Detroit Father yeah. or your work at Bedrock, uh, QL, tell me where can they find you? Yeah, definitely IG. That's one of my favorite platforms. Um, at Detroit Father, hit me up. I'm always willing to connect with people. Always. I mean, I think a lot of the connects I've made have been through Instagram, also on LinkedIn. And then my email is dkwilliams at bedrockdetroit.com. Always happy to connect there as well to figure out how we together can move Detroit forward. Absolutely. So again, I end with this. Your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. Mm. I'm Andre Ebron, the host and the founder of the Drawing Board Podcast with DK Williams. That'll definitely let you know you must restore your past and build your future. God bless you.